One of the things I want us to think about today is, do you ever get stuck? Ever get stuck on certain traditions where, or, or just ways you do things, where you feel like if you don't do it in this certain way, it, it's just not right. Right? We went to a, a baseball game earlier this uh, week, and you know, baseball players are really famous for having to, you know, touch the, you know, do the bat, do the gloves, do all these different things just right, or else, you know, it just is not right. Or you might have heard it's it's uh, etiquette, I guess, or proper or good manners to, um, if you're walking with a woman, the man should walk on the outside if you're walking on the street, right? Um, if you've heard that. Well, what if, and this is just purely hypothetical, if your wife is really scared of snakes, okay? Right, that's my wife. And I remember when we were, um, you know, we'd walk together and she'd always be like, I want to be on the outside. I'm like, no, that's not right. That's not right. But she doesn't want all that stuff, like whatever's in the grass. Yeah, she'll have nothing to that. And so the, the, it became to me, well, what's more important, the tradition or the person? See, traditions are man-made, but people are made in the image of God. And so that's a, a fundamental truth is that, um, is that, yeah, people are made in the image of God and man-made traditions are changeable. Now, when Jesus came, he said, I am the truth. And when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the truth. And as we're going to see in today's scripture, sometimes when we focus on traditions or focus on those things that we feel we really need to just be right, we can actually miss out on the truth. And we're in this series called Encountering Jesus, where Jesus encounters many different types of people and they have a life-changing experience. Well, that's not quite right in that some people who uh, really cling to tradition, Jesus encounters them and they don't have that life-changing experience because they can't see Jesus for who he is because, again, they can't see through those traditions. So we're in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at these encounters in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus, we're in chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and Jesus has been gaining in popularity, and he's even gathered some disciples. So disciples are just people who follow and, and learn from someone. And so Jesus has called uh, Peter, a fisherman, and a tax collector to be his followers and help spread the kingdom of God. And he's very popular with the religious outcasts. The problem is, is that makes him unpopular with the religious incasts. I think that's a word. I don't, maybe not. I don't know. But the in-group and this conflict with this religious in-group is particularly about the traditions, and, and as we'll see today, particularly about the observance of the Sabbath. So let's look. Luke chapter 6, it reads, On a Sabbath, so verse 1, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
what's interesting, and those who have been with us before, you, you know that we were looking in previous passages in Luke, and Jesus has established that he has authority over sickness, so he can heal. He has authority, his, his teaching is with authority. He has even authority to forgive sins. And now he is saying that he has authority over one of the primary religious practices of um, the Jewish people of that day, and that is the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath. All right, well, what is the Sabbath? Why is it such a big deal? Well, it made the top ten list, right? You know, the, the, the Ten Commandments, you shall honor the Sabbath. It's a day to rest and to worship the Lord. And it's also a day to practice faith and trust in God because unlike all the other peoples, the Jewish people, they wouldn't work on that day. And people were like, wait, how can you not work? Aren't you afraid of starving? And they would say, no, we are resting to the Lord. So we're, we're building our relationship with God. So we're not going to do any work on this day so we can focus on God and trust that he'll provide because he created the world in, in uh, six days and rested on the seventh. He commanded us to do it. So that's what we're going to do. So it was an identity marker for the Jewish people. But by Jesus' day, a whole set of traditions had uh, built up around the Sabbath. And it was those traditions of, all right, what constitutes work? If you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, well, what exactly is work? And they would, um, they, had a, they would build a hedge. These traditions built a hedge around the law of keep, keeping Sabbath. What do I mean by that is that, all right, if this is going to break the Sabbath, me doing work, let's make sure we build a hedge around it so I don't even come near. There's no chance of me breaking the Sabbath by this work. So, for instance, uh, it's work to go and harvest your, your crops, right? That's work. Um, but is it work to, as you're walking through the fields, to grab some of the grain and rub it in your hands and, and eat that grain for a little snack? Well, the Pharisees thought so, because that's what Jesus and his disciples did. They said, hey, what you're doing is not lawful, right? It's not according to the traditions. And Jesus he then, and by the way, the Pharisees are the religious, were a religious group of that day who especially emphasized following the law of Moses and the traditions around it. So they say, that's not lawful. And then Jesus tells a story about King David. And King David was, um, you know, the anointed one of God. And he went and he did something that was not according to the law and that he ate the bread of the presence, the bread of the sanctuary, which was only lawful for the priest to eat. And Jesus points to that, I think, because he is the descendant of David. He is the Messiah who was going to come from the line of David. And so he had authority. He had a special anointing. And that's why he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's claiming authority. This includes interpreting what does God want because that's what the law did. The law was a revelation of what, is, what does God want for his people. And Jesus is saying, I am God's ultimate self-revelation, and therefore I am going to interpret to you what does it mean to follow the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath for? And he claims the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. But in the Pharisees' focus on tradition, what are they missing out on? They are missing out on the truth of who Jesus is. He's missing out on the authority that he has as the Son of Man. And he has the authority for faith and practice. So I think we, 
just as we read that first section, I think one of the questions we should be asking ourselves is, all right, does Jesus have authority over my faith and practice as an individual but also as a church? Does Jesus have the authority over how I observe the Sabbath? Has I follow the commandments? Again, as an individual and as a church, ask that question. All right, well, Luke is really making, the gospel writers really making a point about this conflict. Because in the very next verse, verse 6, he says, on another Sabbath. All right, so he's talking about the Sabbath. Now he's going to continue to talk about this. This is a theme throughout Luke, and we're going to hit that theme today. So verse 6 says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Yes, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So again, the Sabbath is a big deal. And by Jesus' day, there was all sorts of sets of traditions, as I said, that were built up around the Sabbath as what is work, what is not work, what's okay, what's not okay. And there were traditions that existed that said it's not lawful. It is, it is breaking the Sabbath to heal someone on the Sabbath unless their life is in danger. Okay, so the Mishnah, which was a collection of Jewish traditions written around the 3rd century, but also reflected um, earlier writings. I don't know if you wanted to know that or not, but I, anyways, I just said it. But uh, probably, it probably reflected traditions from Jesus' time. It said that it's okay to heal someone to save a life. All right, It's okay to break the Sabbath, or it's not breaking the Sabbath if someone's life is in danger. So, Think about it. The Pharisees and the scribes, they see this guy, he has a withered hand. Well, that's not life-threatening. So, that he should wait. He should wait for a different day. Jesus should wait for a different day. In fact, Jesus seems to allude to this concept when he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy? He's saying, you, you yourselves believe that the Sabbath is to do good and to save life. But Jesus, he's showing them that the underlying truth of the Sabbath, it's blessing, it's restoration, but they can't see past their traditions. They can't see past their traditional interpretations. That, no, healing, that's actually a Sabbath kind of thing, right? Does it restore your relationship with God? Does it connect you to God more if you're healed, if you see someone being healed? Uh, yeah, it is. So that's a Sabbath kind of thing. But they couldn't see that through their traditions. So Jesus, he claims authority over the Sabbath in verse, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. And then he asserts his authority through healing on the Sabbath in verses 6 and 11. And when Jesus heals that man with a withered hand, he is rejecting the traditions and teachings of the religious leaders who would have said that man's life it was not in danger. So... You know, he could wait. 
could be healed another day. But Jesus said, I want to help this man. I'm going to give this man a hand. (laughs) And he did, right? He gave this man his hand back. But he rejects, he rejects their interpretation of the Sabbath law because what is the Sabbath meant for? It's meant for restoration. It's meant for rebuilding our relationship with God. And again, healing a man's suffering through the power of God, that definitely qualifies as restoring. And add to that that Jesus is ushering in God's kingdom, the kingdom of redemption, that this was not the time to cling to traditions. It was a time to to reach out, right? Just as that man reached his hand out, it was time to reach out and embrace the truth of Christ. That was the time. The Sabbath was the perfect time for that. And so I ask, as we sit here, what are we clinging to? I saw someone, um, it was uh, trying to save, there was a flood, and there was this little dog on an island, right? And, and he was trying to, the, the, water, the water was rising, and this person wanted to save this dog, but the dog, because he was clinging, he was clinging to that little patch of dirt with water all around, instead of embracing the person who came to save him because he was, got used to that rock. So many times we do that. We cling to what we're used to. But we need to reach for the truth of eternal redemption in Christ. So what are we clinging to? What are we clinging to that keeps us from reaching out and grabbing onto Christ and his salvation? So later in the Luke's Gospel, and we're hitting a lot of these Sabbath healings because they are all connected. This conflict between truth and tradition come up again in, in, the, in the context of the Sabbath. So Luke chapter 13, verse 10 says this. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Okay, you see a pattern here. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus, he's teaching on the Sabbath in a synagogue. And he sees this woman, again, this precious woman, a child of Abraham, who for 18 years had this spirit and was was stuck and bound. And this is not just a physical thing, although it is. It's spiritual in that Luke calls it a disabling spirit and and Jesus says she's bound by Satan. So there's a lot going on here. And for 18 years, she has suffered. 
And like the previous passage, Jesus says, oh, it's the Sabbath day. This is the perfect day. The perfect day to release this woman from her captivity, from her bondage. Because in Luke 4, what did Jesus say? He says, I've come to set the captives free. And there's someone captive, I'm going to set her free. And he does. He had authority to heal. He had authority to carry out God's will. But again, there's resistance. The ruler of the synagogue. Now, he has authority and responsibility to uphold the traditions of the synagogue. That's a part of why he's there. And so he objects. He says, wait a minute, this woman, she could have just waited one more day. Right? Her life was not in danger. After all, she had this for 18 years. Right? Isn't that, look at verse 14. He says, there are six days in which work ought to be done. And he's not objecting that she was healed. He's like, no, no, I'm just objecting that he was healed on the Sabbath. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. So the truth about God, the truth about what the Sabbath is for, is being obscured by their traditions. So that it seems, what truth is being communicated? Well, uh, uh, the truth that seems to be communicated is an ox or a donkey is more important than this woman. And Jesus will have none of that. He'll have none of it. He, he calls them out in verse 15. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from the bond on the Sabbath day? See, what Jesus is doing, he's using a very common uh, rabbinic argumentation technique called lesser to greater, where he's pointing from the lesser truth to the greater truth. And first of all, he says, you know, you, it's, it is okay, according to your traditions, to give an animal water on the Sabbath. Right? Even, that's not life and death. Yes, animals need water, but they can wait till the evening if it's Sabbath. But yet, that's not breaking the Sabbath to give an animal water. How much more should this daughter of Abraham, again, not only someone created in the image of God, but some, one of their very own people, how much more should she be refreshed with a, with a water of healing? And then he says, you untie an animal to lead it to water. So an animal that's maybe only been bound, tied up for a couple of hours, you'll untie that animal to lead it to water, but this woman has been bound for 18 years. Again, the lesser to greater. How much more then? Is it appropriate? Is it displaying the truth for me to heal that woman on this Sabbath day? Again, what truth? I think Jesus is, is calling the Pharisees out. He's saying, what truth are you communicating by clinging to this tradition? I'll tell you what truth you're not communicating, that, that we should love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. because it doesn't communicate that we love our neighbor when we put our traditions above them. When it's not helping them get closer to God, it's not helping anything other than us feel better because they're doing what we're used to do. And so he calls them out. Love God and love people. That truth was being obscured by tradition. So again, it seems the, the message communicated is that the, an ox, a donkey, is more important than this daughter of Abraham. So Jesus says, why wait? 
Why wait? The Sabbath was actually made for just this thing, to bring rest, to rebuild our relationship with God. It also looks forward, the Sabbath rest looks forward to the eternal rest that we'll enjoy as God's people around his throne. I can't think of a, of a more appropriate action that would emphasize that principle more than Jesus healing this woman on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God. And these miracles verify that inbreaking. Now, we don't have time, but we could look at Luke 14, just a little bit. Luke 14, 1 through 6. Guess what Jesus does? He heals a man on the Sabbath, a man who has dropsy, but the same principle. So here we have three healings on the Sabbath by Jesus. So when something is three times, there's emphasis there. And Luke is emphasizing that, that Jesus has true authority. He has authority over the Sabbath. He is the one. He's the lens through whom we look at all traditions. Through all Scripture, we read Scripture through the lens of Christ because He is the Son of Man and has that authority. And these miracles verify that. But tradition can crowd out the truth. All right, so finally, how do we apply this? We've sort of suggested some applications. But I think what this, these Scriptures tell us is we cannot let our traditions... And when I say traditions, I don't just mean cultural traditions. It includes that, church traditions, but also personal traditions, which some people call hang-ups, right? And it's not, when we're talking about traditions, that's not just things hundreds of years old. Some traditions are like two or three years old, right? If you keep doing something just for a couple of years, pretty soon, you need to do it all the time because it's just what you do. Isn't it true? I know in, in, church, in church life, if we do something for more than two years, I've got to be careful because, oh, that's how we always do it. That's our tradition. So traditions are not just things that are really old. They're anything that can get in the way of us stepping into the truth if it holds us in place and keeps us from moving forward. And so we need to constantly submit what we are doing to Christ's authority as revealed in his word. So what traditions, what hang-ups are hanging you up right now? Now, I know as a church, one, our vision for our church is that we need to constantly measure what we are doing up against our mission. Because it's not our mission, it's the mission that God gave us to worship God, to love people, and to grow Christ followers. So every tradition, everything we do, whether it's just for this last year, or whether it's been doing it for 20 years, we measure that up and say, is, is, are we doing this? God, are we stepping into the truth that you're calling us to do? Otherwise, what do we communicate? We communicate to people that the way we do things is more important than people. Is that the truth we want to communicate? That it's more important for me to do things the way that I'm used to as opposed to that person, that new person, that person who doesn't know about our traditions. I think we've had an experimentation in this, an opportunity to learn in this way with, you know, uh, before the pandemic we had two services, now we have one service, and you know, we had a traditional service and a contemporary service, or whatever we called it, but that doesn't mean the traditional service is the only service that had traditions. No, both services had traditions, right? The way that we normally do things. 
And as we have come to one service, each one of us has had to take our traditions and say, all right, this is not as important as certain core biblical truths like loving God and loving people, like unity in the body. We've all had to step and put something aside if we want to cling to Christ. Again, whatever service you were used to before, we all have our traditions. And traditions aren't bad. Oftentimes, they are based on a truth, right? It's, you're, you're like, this is the truth of God. This is how he's revealed it, and so this is how I'm going to follow it. And it works for a time. It's helpful for a time. But if we don't constantly measure it up to God's word, right, it can be something that holds us back instead of propels us forward to God and what he has for us, the truth. But as an individual, again, that's church stuff. As an individual, what traditions, what hang-ups are getting in the way of you as stepping into the truth? You know, an illustration would be, as America becomes more and more secular, what we're going to find is that their traditions become more and more secular. So that if we're just going to go along with cultural tradition, we might miss out on the truth. So, for instance, although this is... Uh, a fairly new tradition, I think, is, you know, you don't talk about religion with people, right? Religion and politics. Don't talk about that stuff. Ever since, you know, I was a little kid, I knew that, right? It's awkward when you talk about religion. But I'm not going to follow that tradition. It's a secular tradition, and I know it keeps me from stepping into the truth of all that God has. And we're going to see more and more of that as, the, as our culture is more uh, secular, its traditions will be less and less in accord with us, and we're going to have to step out. On the other side of things, you know, do our traditions keep us from treating people with love? I knew a person who, uh, in a former church, uh, she, she had this idea that people should dress a certain way and talk a certain way and have their hairstyle a certain way. I'm serious. And if it if they didn't have that, she would tell them, you know, your bangs are too long. You should cut those. Are those clothes appropriate for church? Now, now think about that. What, what is that person doing? I mean, the person who's hearing that, they're thinking about their hairstyle. They're thinking about their clothes. Are they thinking about Jesus? Probably not. You see, those traditions were keeping that woman from her mission, which was to help that person step into God's presence and enjoy him and worship him. Her traditions were getting in the way of the truth. Her traditions were showing people that, you know what? What's most important is that you fall in line with what I think is right or wrong. Not What's really important is getting in step with who God is and what he wants for our life. So my friends, we could continue to go on, but I think we each need to reflect. We each need to look into our hearts. And again, this is not, whether you're young or old, there are things that you do, you feel you need to do for, for just to be right. Are those things keeping you from stepping into the truth of Christ? Are they keeping others from stepping into the truth of Christ? And if they are, the good news of Jesus is that today's a new day. Today is a day where you can say, you know what? 
I've had enough of the tradition. I want more truth. I want more Jesus. I want my friends to have more Jesus. And so if a tradition kind of helps us with that, I'm on it. But if it doesn't, I'm going to choose the truth. Again, we see that Jesus did that in these scriptures. So let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and we confess that, Lord, there's so many things we feel like we have to do it a certain way. But, Lord, you are so much bigger than man-made traditions. Lord, you are the truth. We pray that that would fill our hearts and minds right now. And, Lord, we leave everything behind, everything that inhibits us, and we embrace you. You are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are the Lord of our faith and practice. You are the Lord of our lives. God, may you reign in our church. May you reign in our lives so that we reflect you in everything we do. Lord, that your truth reigns supreme as you reign supreme. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.